Welcome to the Buck and Strutton Podcast, the chronicles of two unlegendary public land hunters. Your home for hunting tactics, strategies, and stories. guys welcome back to the podcast we have dan matthews the nomadic outdoorsman on the show today so dan i kind of i gotta which i'm sure you've probably been hearing a lot about this lately but i've got a story on how i kind of figured out who you were and what prompted me to reach out to you my my girlfriend's one of those avid tiktokers yeah she, <laughs> she's on the tiktok quite a bit and I was sitting there at the table just kind of doing some work and I mean she came running into the kitchen she's like babe you need to you need to contact this guy right now and I mean beforehand she probably could have cared less on who I talked to on the podcast I'm just like holy shit but and I mean here we are now we're doing a podcast together but I thought it was pretty cool so if you want man you can go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself and then maybe give the story on the old TikTok thing that your your wife did. Yeah, so uh my name is Dan Matthews. I I'm an avid outdoorsman. I I could be outside 365 days a year and I would be happy as could be. But uh I grew up in Wisconsin, started hunting up there and then moved down to Missouri for college. Uh got in with a great group of guys here, got most of them into hunting as well, and then we just started going after everything together. But as far as the TikTok goes, my wife's been TikToking and Instagramming and Facebooking for years. And I, I just didn't understand any of it. But she would always be like, hey, babe, come come in the kitchen and dance with me real quick to this song. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, and that's all I knew of TikTok for a long time. But the other day she called me in and she's like, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to hop on live and show you a couple things. And so she did. Well, the last I had been on my own TikTok, I think I had like 20 followers and wasn't doing anything, wasn't posting any content. Um, but I had started the podcast uh, in hopes that, you know, I could share stories with other people uh, just of hunting, my experiences, my friend and family experiences. And I put it all on hold just because she was, um, pursuing her dream of being a surrogate, having a, having a baby for a couple that couldn't have one of their own. And then also we started renovating RVs. And so everything else, as far as the podcast got put on hold. Well, what I didn't realize is that she didn't want me on TikTok all weekend because she was putting something together. She posted a video about, um, just how I put all my dreams on hold so that she could pursue hers for the last six months. And everybody responded like crazy. She showed me that we were on my TikTok at that time and that I had 16,700 followers and I didn't even know what to think. But she posted that and the hunting community has just kind of rallied around it and responded really well. And so now 
I'm just under 30,000 followers, um, which just seems weird to me that 30,000 people would be interested in anything I had to say or do. Um, but it sounds like it's getting out there. I mean, I've been contacted by a ton of people over the last four days from, I think last night I had people from Arkansas, Oklahoma, Idaho, Colorado, um, Alaska, North Dakota, all extend invites for me to come and hunt with them. And so I told her, I said, you opened a can of worms on this one because I'm going to be hunting a lot more this year now. <laughs> yes, yeah, she, she might be. She might be regretting that when she. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, she told me today. I was like, all right, I love you, babe. And she goes, well, you need to show me. And I was like, does that mean make a TikTok and try to get you more followers? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so what a. That. I can't that that story is probably one of the coolest things I've heard in a while. You know, like it just goes to show that the hunting community is actually worth a damn and that they're gonna help people out. And that Yeah. That warms the heart could, a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they really did. I've been I've been getting contacted from major outfitters, from clothing lines asking if, you know, I'm looking for sponsorships. I had one random guy message me and say, do you have any big hunting trips planned? Do you need money or funding to help you on those? And I was like, I'm going to private message this guy real quick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just blew my mind. And everybody was so positive too. I, that night I read through every single comment that was on the video so far. And I think at that time it was like 2,300 and some change. I read every single one of them and out of those there were maybe five negative comments and it blew me away how positive everybody was how supportive they were and so we'll see where it goes i guess that's awesome man i we're we're super stoked like i hope that it takes you wherever you want to be with it you know like it you can follow your passion and dreams and that's the most important thing when you when you're doing stuff like this when you have your own podcast it's it's all about doing what you care about and i mean if i could give up everything and just do this for a living i mean hell yeah i would who wouldn't oh yeah yeah that's the goal i think i think once uh once wired to hunt and um meat eater and those guys all came out and started doing their thing it gave everyday guys like us some hope like hey there's an avenue that we can get our story out there share our experiences and hopefully connect with other people that are like-minded and get more people out there hunting and fishing and doing things in the outdoors. So exactly. So let's kind of switch over here to the hunting itself. What, what all do you hunt? Well, I think if it walks, crawls or flies, I'd be interested in hunting it at some point. Um, I, I started out whitetail hunting up in Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, kind of an area that's known for giant bucks. And then uh, my cousin and my uncle got into waterfowl hunting. Didn't think much about it until they started inviting me out. And I went out with them and I shot my first duck cupped up in my face and I was hooked on that. And then moving down here, people started telling me about frog gigging and um, turkey hunting and all this different stuff. 
And since then, I just said, hey, I'm going to try all of it and see what I like and, you know, maybe do the others occasionally, but just find what I'm really passionate about. And so to this point, I think I've hunted rabbits, squirrels, waterfowl, dove, uh, turkey, deer, moose, mountain goat, elk, black-tailed deer, mule deer. Uh, I've gone on bear hunts, haven't had any luck. I haven't even seen a black bear aside from driving out of Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, but yeah, if it can be hunted, I'd probably be interested in hunting it. That's awesome, man. Like it, it sounds like you have quite a few stories already. I mean, the, uh, out of, I guess out of all these things, what's your, what's, if you had to have a favorite, what would it be? At this point, um, my passion still lies, I think with archery whitetail hunting. Okay. Um, just because having access to a property where I could actually do some improvements and follow certain deer, get them on trail camera, see them in the stand all the time. That, that really reignited my passion for bow hunting, but duck hunting is definitely a close second. See, I've, I've never duck hunted. Dustin has, Dustin's duck hunted, but I've never experienced that. I've, I've watched videos on it. I mean, it looks really fun. looks like it's a blast. The, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time. I mean, the thing about duck hunting, it's not a solitary sport. You know, you can go out with one other guy or 10 other guys. And even if you don't shoot anything, just having the stories that come from it, uh, the experiences, learning how to call, teaching other people how to call just those early mornings when, you know, you might not have time to go shoot a deer and process it and take care of it the way it needs to. You could still get out to a farm pond and uh, hit the duck call a couple times and see what comes in. So I think that's the, that's the lure of duck hunting, the communication with the animal, as well as the camaraderie of it. The camaraderie is, that's probably one of the biggest things that draws me to wanting to continue to be outdoors. When I'm with my, my family, my friends, whether we're going to deer camp, excuse me, whether we're going to deer camp or we're going to check trail cameras or, whatever the case may be, or even just cooking out. I mean, we, we did something and we're definitely, since you know, you live pretty freaking close to us, we will definitely hit you up when we do it again in August. We just had like a, we started in the afternoon. We had, everybody brought their targets. We set them up at different ranges. We grilled out people brought venison, smoked queso, the whole nine. I mean, it was, it was a blast. That's the stuff that I think, non-hunters or whatever they need to see that side of it oh absolutely i think getting people into the food portion of it to see what can come from it and then also the fellowship of it that that sealed the deal for me on every type of hunting i've done um to know that i could provide for my family walk away with something something to show for it more than just a set of antlers or you know a cool picture but having meat to feed my family and then the stories, that's what it's all about in my, in my opinion. Amen, man. Amen. So let's talk about this uh, out-of-state hunt, your moose hunt that you went on. Would yeah. you be willing to give us the whole story, like the whole kit and cadoodle of it all? Yeah, I'll, I'll run that down for you. Um, so... 
that hunt happened. We actually lived in Colorado for a couple of years. We moved out there and I started Western big game hunting, learning what that was all about and fell in love with it. I mean, I love going back there every year. And so uh, I started the draw process and I was like, what does this look like? You know, I didn't, I had never had to apply for a license for anything. I just went and picked one up at Walmart, but a friend of mine, Sean, he called me and he was almost in tears. He was so excited and he had drawn a moose tag. And I said, a moose, like we can hunt moose in Colorado. This is unbelievable. And so we started that process, started looking at maps. Um, the cool thing is you can get kill site maps of moose in that area. And uh, basically the three trophy big games, I guess you would call them, um, mountain goat, bighorn and moose. They, they create these kill site maps that you can buy or download. And we started looking at different areas that we would be interested in hunting. So in July, it was actually my birthday weekend, one of the best birthdays I've ever had. We went up scouting for moose. And this area we knew was going to be rich with them because of all the kill sites that we saw. And over the course of two and a half days, we spotted 23 moose. And some of these moose we were within 10 to 15 yards of. Uh, I had a good friend of mine who runs Khalil Media here in town. He does a lot of uh, fishing and outdoor media production. He came with, brought his super nice 4K camera, and we were filming these moose at like 15 yards eating grass. They couldn't even care less that we were there. And so that was that was what really got me excited about it, aside from watching the YouTube videos and stuff. But we went back at the end of September because October 1st was the opening day of moose hunting. And we had this elaborate plan set up. We thought we knew where we were going to go and find a moose. And I actually got a call the night before I was on my way up there uh, to moose camp that that morning they woke up and looked out of the door of their camper. And here was this Boone and Crockett moose walking through their camp at 50 yards. Oh, but shit. it wasn't it wasn't season yet the next morning was season and so i got there we're talking about it they're showing me videos of it and the next morning our plan was to go up this drainage that we had explored thoroughly uh in july when we went and checked it out and so we get in the i got on a four-wheeler um my buddy was in his truck and we were just going to drive to the mouth of this drainage on we were already on a dirt like two-track road um, and I see him pull off about 400 yards up in front of me and I was like, oh, they must see something. So I pull the four wheeler up, shut it off and get out. And my buddy, Sean is like, Hey, you know, we spotted, we spotted a moose out here. Well, what we didn't realize is there was another couple that was already on the moose and they were in their late sixties, early seventies. And the wife had drawn a cow tag and they were like, Hey, it's a bull moose. We don't have a bull tag. We only have a cow tag. So if you guys want to go after that bull, you can. And so I told Sean, two of us can go after the moose and just take a look at it. See if it's something you want to shoot because out there, it's basically a once in a lifetime tag. Once you shoot a moose, whether you're successful or not, you can't draw again until you accrue so many points and then get lucky enough um, to win the lottery on it. And so he said, you know, I'm not shooting a moose the first day. We all had taken two weeks off of work to go after this moose. And he was like, I'm not shooting one first day. So I just said, all right, well, two of us can go after it. 
the rest can stay back and watch. And two of his brothers were there. A friend of mine came down from Wisconsin to join on the hunt. And then his girlfriend at the time was there. And he said, hey, do you mind if Sarah and I go after it? And I said, not a problem. Here's my camera. Push the red button by your thumb and record, you know, see what you get. And so he goes over and the rest of us are looking at it through binoculars and spotting scopes. And we're like, man, that's a that's a nice moose. But everybody agreed. Sean said, I'm not going to shoot anything on the first day. And all of a sudden, a cow stepped up. They were bedded out in this meadow and a cow stood up and started trotting off. And then the moose, the bull stood up and it turned directly away from us, which was perfectly broadside for Sean. And we all saw the spread on the rack and we're like, that is a huge moose. And no sooner than we said that we heard a gunshot and we're like, <laughs> you have got to be kidding. I mean, so the season started 30 minutes before sunrise and we're still probably 10 minutes before sunrise when we heard the gunshot and we're like, this is unbelievable. Like it's day one, we've got 14 days to go and he may have just killed this moose and the moose started trotting and we heard another shot and all of a sudden it dropped. And I mean, the, the rush of adrenaline that went through my body at that moment, I can't describe unless, I mean, you've experienced something like that, but we, we were all looking at each other in disbelief. Didn't never imagine that it would be over so quickly. And um, we started walking out in the meadow and I look up as I'm walking and it looks like a super flat meadow that you could like run across at full speed. But what you don't realize is there's 15 foot dips in it down to a Creek bottom multiple times. And so as we're walking, I'm trying to watch my footing and I look up and I see the rack of this moose moving. And from Sean's perspective, he said he shot the first time, knew it was a good shot. He heard the impact. It started running or started trotting and he shot again and that's when it went down. Well, then at that point, its head came up and he was walking in. We could see him and Sarah with the camera behind him uh, walking up on this moose and he was just kind of talking to it, just saying like, just stand up. I don't want you to suffer. Like I want this to end quickly. Thank you. That type of thing. And we all watched as it stood on its front legs, looked over at him and just kind of gave itself up. It was, it was unreal. It was surreal. And he pulled the trigger one more time and it threw its head back and let out a breath of air that would have filled a 500 square foot room. And I mean, it was just the most majestic thing I'd ever seen. And it tipped over and we went up there and every time they shoot something, they lay hands on it and they say, thank you and yours for providing for me and mine. And I mean, it was, it was the craziest experience I think I've ever had out in the, out in the woods as far as chasing animals go. And so we start high-fiving Sean's in tears at this point and I turned to Sarah and she's got the camera up and she just said I think I got it and I was like oh cool like not thinking about the camera at all and I go what what do you mean you think you got it and she's like well I hit this button and she shows me the button that she hit and it was on the inside of the camera never hit record never <laughs> got any of it on video but we, at that point, we didn't care. Sean said, everybody I love and care about was here to actually experience it firsthand. And if the rest of the world doesn't get to see the footage, I'm okay with that. And so 
we proceeded to um, field dress the moose. We quartered it out, and each quarter probably weighed 150 pounds, I would guess. And so we threw those on meat packs and packed them back only 330 yards to the truck. Um, and so that was that was basically the moose hunt. From there, we just kind of hung out, and we enjoyed moose that night. We did some tenderloins, tongue, and heart, um, fried all that up and hung out for the next couple days in moose camp went to a local uh it's like a cabin rental place i guess you would say went there took a hot shower and then just kind of explored and enjoyed the weekend together um so yeah that was the moose hunt it was it was cool because i wasn't the one pulling the trigger but i felt like i got to hunt the moose just as much as anybody else did i got to be a part of the whole experience and I, this, this will be my first year eligible to draw a moose tag. So fingers crossed that I get that. That's insane. I mean, would you have believed if you, if, if you weren't there and you heard that story, would you fully believe the way the events took place? No, I, the one thing I think that took me by surprise is how, how not docile, but they're, they're not afraid of things moose aren't they're so big they're top of the food chain until they die or get injured and you know nothing preys on them and so watching an animal that size that doesn't mind people being around and this wasn't like near the park this wasn't this wasn't a place that tourists go and just video moose but it was back in there like these moose were fully wild and to to know that they behave like that in the wild is crazy because everything else I've ever pursued, if you get upwind of them or they see you move, they're gone. And so, yeah, to be there and then to like retell the story, I'm like, man, it sounds unbelievable, but I just wish that, you know, there was a video of the whole thing and I took video and pictures and stuff, but just seeing how it all played out was almost unbelievable to us. That's insane, man. Like I, I definitely on the bucket list to be able to go and hunt elk, moose, something like that. I, I can't even wrap my mind around stepping off on that adventure to actually to go and do something. You know, to, to actually hunt in the backcountry with something like that. Yeah, it it blew my mind when I lived there because I realized how accessible it is with the um national and public lands that we all have access to you know i always thought if i'm gonna hunt a moose if i'm gonna hunt an elk i'm gonna have to pay an outfitter and go and do this but it's so accessible to everyone and if you're paying non-resident prices it's going to be expensive but you know you cut out coffee here and there or fast food a couple times a month and you could save up in a year to go and do it and so like for you guys especially if you ever want to get up and do something like that we're going to be doing trips out there every year. I'm taking a bunch of new guys from Missouri this year to pursue elk in October. And next year I plan to do the same thing because I want other people to realize just how, how possible it is. That, I mean, that would definitely be something that in the, you know, probably not this coming year, but the, the following year, even the year after to link up and go do something, man, that, that would be absolutely insane. Like I, I, I think about it often, but 
it's like ah, I don't know if I'll ever if I'll ever get there or however you know just whether or not it's not on top priority just it feels unrealistic I guess is what I'm trying to say yeah yeah I think I think it's definitely doable and fingers crossed that one of us draws an elk tag this year and then we can all be part of a Missouri elk hunt but if if not, I think the non-resident tags out in Colorado are somewhere around 650 bucks. And so it's definitely doable. Um, there's plenty of them out there. And there's, if you look on the GMU map, the game management unit map in Colorado, there are millions of acres of land that you can go and buy an over-the-counter elk tag and just go after them. That's wild. I that is it's absolutely wild it would be it would be pretty crazy if somebody that you knew drew that elk tag here in missouri to be able to go and experience that in your home state oh yeah that that was i'm definitely a dreamer and i think that the best things can happen to me if they can happen to anybody else <laughs> i had my fingers and toes all across last year for that elk tag and i think well there were a couple hundred thousand hunters that heart sank when they didn't get drawn last year <laughs> amen hey, i think i didn't put in for it actually i i'm going to school up at missouri state right now and i knew that there, there was no way like i'm in my senior year and there's no way but Dustin did. Now I was I was rooting hardcore for him. I was like, dude, you get it. I'll be there when I can. Like that's that's a chance of a <laughs> lifetime. Well, from now on, I mean, I would recommend just putting in because I didn't realize it. But um, after after they announced that the tags had been filled, they they posted that if you applied but didn't draw, you have a point towards next year, which increases your odds. And so each year that you don't draw your chances the following year get better and better. And so not by much because there's still a couple hundred thousand people applying and only five tags, but who knows if they can draw it, you could draw it. And you think too, I mean, in the next X amount of years, those tags might get, it might be a bigger pool, you know, if the man's yeah, they've had, consistent. They've had, they've had a great, uh, reproduction rate so far here in Missouri. And I mean, it's native habitat for them. And there's no reason they're not going to thrive. You know, there there will be more vehicle collisions and stuff, but the amount of predators and uh, hunters that take out elk are never going to surpass the reproduction rate of them here in Missouri as long as the MDC continues to manage them well. That would be awesome. That that would be awesome. We always laugh about. Go ahead, Dustin. I think that I mean what you're saying right there. You know, I think it's definitely on its way to that because it's like I mean. My mom, she cuts hair down at a little shop here in Ozark, and one of her clients has even said, and I've heard now this is coming from two different sources, that they've seen a bull elk running around down on a couple different farms in Spokane. So, yeah, I definitely think that here in the next few years that Missouri's going to have a big enough elk population that a bigger season to say or – I mean, uh, trying to think how you would put it pretty much. Yeah. Over the counter, anyone can buy a tag, start doing it. I think that's pretty foreseeable in the future. Yeah. I, I would say over the next 10 to 20 years, especially if they continue to introduce new herds in different parts of the state, 
that it's going to be more accessible to people. Um, and like I said, Missouri Department of Conservation is great when it comes to managing property, managing wildlife. I'd say they're one of the top models in the country for it. And so I really do think that, you know, if not in our lifetime, in our child's lifetime, uh, it's going to be an over-the-counter system, just like it is in a lot of different states. That would be that would be incredible. I mean, absolutely. So we before we started recording, man, we were talking about <laughs> shed hunting or quote unquote shed looking. <laughs> we we went out today, and I mean, it it was warm. It, it was pretty hot. So you know, you're out there, you're kind of getting back into hunting shape from the holidays and just being kind of lazy, I guess. But what what kind of tactics or what do you do when you step out looking for sheds? So when I shed hunt, I mean, I go to the places that I know the deer are, um, good transition areas, fence crossings. Um, but really what it comes down to is bedding. If you can find where they're bedding, that means the deer are going to be there at some point throughout the week, if not every day. And so if you go to those bedding areas, the thickets, the spots that makes it way harder to look for sheds, um, it's a higher probability of finding the sheds. I found one last year. I was actually rabbit hunting and I stepped over a log and there's a little three point side right in front of me. And believe it or not, that's the first whitetail shed that I've ever found. Um, I used to have a dog that would bring home sheds and even parts of deer. Uh, that I mean, it was Norwegian Elkhound. It ran out in the country in central Wisconsin, and it would just be chewing on a deer shed. And so I was like, man, these things have to be everywhere. And then once I started looking for them, I couldn't find them. But uh, I would say just from talking to other people, listening to podcasts and reading up on it, the bedding areas are the hot spot. Um, there's a lot of people who just drive roads around public land and you can spot them out in fields even, but I like to be out in, in nature and looking with my eyes and not necessarily driving on a road, looking out in fields. And so that's my tactic. I'm hoping it pays off. Um, the place that I hunt, unfortunately in the, in the winter and early spring, a lot of the bucks don't hang out there. They hang out in a river bottom across the road that I don't have access to. Um, but I know that there, if I could, if I could get permission on that property and just walk across the road, I could fill a garbage can full of sheds just because I know that the deer are bedded down in there every night. That's the kind of stuff that, I mean, shed hunting some people have different feelings about it so on and so forth but when it comes to all things whitetails that's the kind of stuff that keep you up at night yeah I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a quick a quick story on shed hunting i was in colorado two years ago elk hunting and we got up on this vantage point we knew these bulls were hanging out in this thicket and we just couldn't figure out a good way to get down to them and so for i think three or four days straight we would drive the side by sides up onto this knob, get out, walk about a hundred yards in glass and just watch them go in and out um, as we tried to plan on how to approach them. And I was looking through the binoculars and I was like, that's a shed. I see a shed with the binos right where all those elk are. And after looking for about 30 minutes with my binoculars, I spotted seven elk sheds on one hillside. 
And I told everybody else, I'm not going to go down there and blow it. But if the last day we don't go after those elk or if we fill our tags somewhere else, I'm going to go in and collect those sheds. Well, what I didn't realize is there was another guy in camp that overheard that conversation and he decided to go down there two days before the end of season and he collected all of the sheds and my heart dropped. I was like, come on, you got to be kidding me. But he brought them back to camp and showed them to everybody. And out, out there, if you're out in the West, I'm telling you, you can find sheds if you just get out with your binoculars, with a spotting scope, and just scan spots that you know elk travel or if you see um, like cow paths, as we call them, on the hillsides, you'll spot antlers down there. That's awesome. I, <laughs> was the guy that took the sheds, was he friend, family, or just somebody that was in the camp? So I was invited uh, by Sean, the guy that I moose hunt with, and this other gentleman and his son, he's got a grown son. They go out there every year. And I knew them just from hunting with them before, but I wasn't close to them. Either way, I would still say it was shady how it happened, but at the same time, it's public land. It's They're not my antlers until I have my hands on them. And so fair game to him. I wouldn't use the tactic, but other people do, I guess. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is one of the hard realizations whenever you step foot out there and on public land that you're not the only one there. That that we've run into that several times and it takes a lot to pick yourself back up by the bootstraps when it's like, "Oh shit. This guy could have blew blew the hunt or I was this close or whatever the case may be." Oh yeah. We've had, we've had issues with that on public and private land. Unfortunately, last year, the last day of tur or the last day of archery season, I was out in my stand and all of a sudden I see three guys walking through the field. Um, and I was like, what are these guys doing? You know, they had rifles in hand. Well, they were out coyote hunting and they had had permission on the same private land that I hunt. And I got down out of the tree stand, just went and talked to them just to let them know, you know, there's other people here and um, ended up actually making really good friends with a couple of them. But, you know, the the wild is the wild and anybody can enjoy it. And if you have permission, go ahead. I I would say if you know other people are hunting there, contact them and let them know you're going to be out um, so that your hunts don't get blown. But that's the sad reality of it sometimes. Yeah. Yes, it is. This is uh, the next question I'm going to ask you, man. It's kind of been it's kind of been uh, for the last few episodes, just something I've asked a lot of these guys. Uh, what if you were sitting down talking to a novice or new hunter, and they're asking you questions? What what pieces of advice would you give to them? I would say for any type of hunting the best tool that you can get above a brand new rifle or the newest camo, um, the newest wind technology is scouting. That's the number one tool you can have. If you can get out and find out where these animals are and just learn about them, learn about where they move, why they move there, you're going to be more successful than if you have $2,000 worth of camo and a, a $1,500 optic on your rifle. Um, 
that's number one, learn about what you're pursuing. And that's going to do far more for you than anything else. Um, and then on top of that, find other people that love to do what you do and learn from them. Listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, read books, um, or connect with somebody that is also a hunter, maybe a little more seasoned and see if they can, if you can be an apprentice to them. Um, and you'll build a lot of connections. All of my closest friends are people that I either met through hunting or our relationship was built around hunting. That's it. That's, that's interesting. So yeah, before you were talking about like why you were in college with your friends, you introduced them into hunting. They had, yeah. they hadn't hunted at all before that. Um, a couple of them had maybe grown up in a family where their dad or uncle or someone they knew hunted and it kind of intrigued them. But just like in talking with you guys about Western big game hunting, it almost seems unaccessible to them. It might seem like something that would be cool, but they just don't know that they can go do it right now. They could drive, you know, a half hour to a public land property. And so that's where a lot of the guys came from. Some of them had no experience with hunting or didn't even know that people still hunted. I actually had a couple people in, in college that I knew like that. And they were like, wait, you mean you go out and kill animals? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, that seems like mountain man stuff. And I was like, no, I mean, it's, it's a big deal in a lot of places. And there's millions of people in this country that do it every year. Um, and so once they found out and started asking questions, I've never been one to you know, glorify the size of the antlers over the experience or over the food you get from it. And so I think that intrigues people as well. Um, they think, oh, if I go out there, it means I'm a trophy hunter or they have a bad stigma about it. But when you really explain the value that hunting brings to uh, our country and to individuals in our country, it becomes a lot more intriguing and something that they want to become a part of. That's the truth, man. That That's the truth. And I... That what you just said about antler size, trophy status, however you want to define that, that is something that everybody wants to shoot a nice buck. You know, every, everybody wants to hopefully kill a Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, whatever you, whatever it is. But the hunting culture, and I think it is going to change. I, I think that as a lot of these other groups and other brands start getting their stuff out there and showing people that this is not the stuff that you're going to see Saturday morning on TV. This is real life. We're taking, we're going in there and we're killing or harvesting this animal for the meat. And at the end of the day, I really don't care if it has five points on each side or if it just has two points on each side, you know, and that's, yeah. That's the thing that, as a community, we need to get back to. All about yeah, me. I think, no, I, I completely agree on that. And I've had people that have come out the first time and, you know, they're going home and they want to shoot this giant, you know, Whitetail Magazine cover photo deer. And I tell everybody the same thing. And it was told to me when I went out to Colorado. Um, I say, just go out and if, if you see a deer that you want to shoot or you see a deer and you're trying to figure out if you want to shoot it, if it gets your blood pumping, if you're excited, 
don't worry about the antler size. Look once at the antlers and then decide if you want to shoot it after that. Um, but I took my wife out. She shot her first year this year. And, you know, she had that same kind of mindset, like, oh, I want to shoot a big one. Like I've seen, I've seen the deer on the property. I've seen the trail camera pictures and heard the stories. I want to shoot a big one. And I just said, listen, once you break, um, like once you break the skin, so to speak, and, and really get a deer down, then you can start focusing on evolving your hunting and deciding to be more selective with what you shoot. But anytime a new hunter comes out, I try to take people out every year on the property I hunt. I tell them, for us that have hunted a long time, we have put certain antler restrictions in place on the property I hunt just because we like to see them year after year, see how they develop and grow. And then you kind of develop a story with them. But for a new hunter, I tell them every time, I won't be even a little upset if you shoot a spike. I would be so happy for you as if it was a 200 inch whitetail. And that's the way I think pe new people need to get into it is go out and enjoy it. Don't put so much pressure on yourself to be, you know, a world-class hunter or shoot the biggest buck in the County. Just go out there and have fun and shoot what makes you happy. Dude, you're killing it, man. Like that's, that is awesome. That is awesome. So you, uh, you were saying earlier about how you're, you're thinking that you're going to get into the saddle game this coming season. Yeah. What, what are your expectations for that? You know, I've, uh, I've been using a rock climbing harness to hang my stands for a while now. Um, it just helps me when I'm up there, I'm not having to hold on to tree pegs or wrap my leg around the tree and getting, you know, all con contorted up in the tree just to put a tree stand up. And I've been hearing podcasts and seeing videos and reading newspaper articles about these saddle systems. And I was like, it just makes sense. When I'm up there, I'm hands-free. I can just put my feet against the tree hang everything and then I hear about the new technology with it and being able to shoot 360 degrees around the tree and actually you know they're hunt a lot of these guys are hunting on the back side of the tree from where they expect deer to come and they can just pivot in their saddle very quietly and pull off a shot that I wouldn't be able to pull off if I was stationary in a small tree stand <coughs> excuse me um, but yeah, so my whole hope in it is to find a com comfortable system that I can get in and out of a tree quickly. I don't have to have a pre-hung stand. And then especially with trying to pursue more animals on public land, I don't have to do any tree trimming. I don't have to take, uh, an old climber stand, which <clears throat> on a side note, I tried that last year. Uh, I did my first climber stand set up. And we went up near Stockton Lake uh, for a public land archery hunt. And I got up there. I used a buddy's tree stand, which I think he leaves on the tree year round, but like at the base of it. And I climbed up in it and I almost fell. I was like, I'm not doing this again. It took about an hour and a half just to find a tree that I could get up high enough in. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. And then I started thinking again about the saddle system. And I said, I could have hunted any one of these trees on any one of the fields that we looked at we could have been up in the tree within 15 minutes instead of looking for the right tree for an hour and a half and so i think the access of it as well as the ease of use once we're actually up in the tree is going to be what i look forward to most amen man like that, that's, that's the thing with 
for us, because we've been we've we've been contemplating hard about getting into the saddle game, and we we both use lone wolves. You know, we have light stands, we have light sticks, and a lot of times Dustin and I tandem hunt together. A lot of times we're back to back in the same tree, and it's very common that we will go anywhere from a half mile to a mile, and in one case we walked a mile and a half to try to get on some deer that we were trying to hunt and i think about if i get a saddle i could push further and harder and be more effective yeah absolutely and that's that's and then if, go ahead go ahead oh if you have what i think about a lot is i've i've jumped deer up and i've jumped decent bucks up going into my stand in the morning and when i try to do a hanging hunt setup I'm like, I, even if this deer stopped broadside or somehow I snuck up to it in its bed, I wouldn't be able to effectively set all of my gear down, a metal stand, all the ladders, all of that stuff and get a shot off. But just in thinking about that same scenario with a saddle system where it's already strapped to you, you know, you have everything clipped to it or a small backpack on your back, you could pull off a shot because all you have in your hands at that point is your bow. And I've never been in the scenario where I would have been able to pull off a shot on one sneaking into the woods, but I've heard of other people doing it. And I'm like, it, even if it's a 1% chance at a buck, I would much rather have an extra 1% chance by not carrying a big stand in with sticks on my back. I feel that. I, I feel that. The first mobile stand that I had was one of those big bulky climbers. And I was I was thankful for it. I was very thankful to the fact that I could get around and I could hunt. I mean, I say out of any tree, but specifically looking at trees that are going to have a good bite. When I made the switch over to a lighter hang-on stand, I mean, it was night and day. So I can't imagine being that much more lethal in something that I'm already wearing that weighs ounces at that point yeah you know so we are uh we're kind of coming up on our time hack here so for the last part of this dan i want i want to give you some time to be able to tell people where they can find you on social media where they can find your podcast at and you know just kind of go ahead and give people a direction to go yeah, so everything um, is under the Nomadic Outdoorsman. Uh, that's on Instagram, on TikTok now. Um, on uh, the website is the nomadicoutdoorsman.com. And then also my email. If you want to reach out, if you're interested in doing a hunt, um, I'd love to connect with you and just, you know, build a relationship with another like minded individual. So uh, it's the nomadic outdoorsman at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, everything kind of falls under that. Luckily when I was picking out a name, uh, a friend of mine helped me come up with a name. He's like, man, you guys are nomadic. You travel all the time. You live out of a camper. Um, sometimes you live in a house, sometimes you rent other times. And he's like, that's a perfect name. So we came up with that. I looked it up on all the platforms and nobody had it yet. So that's where it's all under now. That's awesome. And then it, as far as podcasts, sorry. 
No, go ahead. Same type of deal. If you find the Nomadic Outdoorsman on Spotify, Apple, Caster, I think it's called. I think there's about 11 or 12 different platforms that it's streaming on. And so go check it out. Um, I try to put out just real life content that anybody can do. It sounds like I've done some crazy hunts with moose hunting and elk hunting and mountain goat and black tailed deer in Alaska, but I live on a budget. I'm not rich by any means. I think the most I've ever made in a year is like $30,000. And so if I can do it, you can do it. I'll tell you, Dan, here in the future, because we're, we're going we're gonna to go hunt Kentucky this year. And here in the future, we need to do another podcast on just out-of-state hunting. Like, we need to put that one in the books. Things to yeah. consider. I mean, I'd love to talk to somebody. I've never hunted out-of-state before. So I'd love to talk to somebody who has and maybe learn a thing or two from that. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I'd love to get on a hunt with you guys out-of-state. If you guys want to go try something new, um, I've got connections up in Wisconsin. I go up there every year for whitetail season and some waterfowl. And so if you guys want to do anything like that, or even Colorado in the coming years, um, that'd be, that'd be an awesome adventure. We definitely will get something hashed out. I have, there's no, no man. Excuse. Absolutely. There, there's no excuse, dude. You live less than an hour away. Oh Yeah. If we, if we don't connect and see each other face-to-face in the next month, I think I'm going to quit listening to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I tell you what, too, you were talking about it here earlier, you know, getting fired up over turkeys is the best way that I can put it in my head because, I mean, I've always wanted to elk hunt just seeing the fact that everyone tells me it's like turkey hunting but for a gigantic deer. Well, <laughs> turkey hunting in a sense is elk hunting for – a pretty good size bird so man if you if you want to get if you want to go with us one day or hell go with us all throughout the season yeah you're more than welcome yeah i'd be down for sure i'll uh i'll keep that in mind and as it gets closer i'm going to be hopefully getting a new gun soon and uh get that sighted in but i've got property that we can hunt also and so i can come with you guys you can join me at my place and that's the one thing I've got tons of friends who hunt, but every now and then I'll call every one of them and nobody's available. And I'd much rather hunt with somebody than without. So, um, I'll put you guys on the call list. Hell yeah. Sounds good, man. Hell yeah. Folks go check this guy out. Give him a follow on Instagram or whatever social media platform. And also if the podcasting platform that you're listening to check out his podcast, leave him, a five-star review, leave him some feedback, and show us some love as well. As always, guys, stay safe out there and hunt relentlessly. We will catch you next time.